Hey, good morning. How about that spring forward, huh? Man alive. We need a better name for that, but March Madness is already taken. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The alarm goes off at 6.30 this morning, and, and my, I just, my body just laughed. And Here we are, but you're here, man. Congratulations. You know, this puts you in elite company. This is everybody's, uh, I don't know. The, the Sunday after Easter and this one. These are kind of the two most popular Sundays to miss. And you are here, and I'm proud of you. So we're going to do this even if I am mostly asleep. Um, so we're, we're starting starting Easter series today, and we're talking about Jesus' last words. There were kind of seven different uh, phrases that um, kind of spread throughout the Gospels, the things that he said while he was on the cross. And we're going to kind of look at them. We're going to look at them, you know, a couple at a time. There's one... In particular, we're going to look at multiple weeks because it just has some awesome things to it. So, um, and, and you can learn a lot, actually, about Jesus from these things that he says kind of in his last moments, in his most vulnerable moments. And, you know, you just kind of think, man, kind of the things that you say, your last words, man, it says a lot about you. And if you want to waste a little bit of time on the Internet or a lot of bit of time on the Internet, you can just Google famous people's last words. And you'll just come across all sorts of things, fall down all sorts of rabbit holes. Um, one in particular, uh, apparently there's a story out there that, that, that Walt Disney, he scribbled on a piece of paper Kurt Russell's name. He was a child actor at the time, had been doing some things, and then he just, he just wrote it. And, like, and you, just, you read that and you're like, is that real? And anytime that, then you Google, is Kurt Russell, Walt Disney, is that story real? And then, you, then you're just, then you're done. And... And you're, supposed to, and you're supposed to prep a sermon. And you're like, dude, get off the internet. <laughs> but you know, it's interesting. I mean, the, the number of famous people that, you know, they'll just, they'll express a lot of regret about life. You know, obviously I drank too much. I, I, I smoked too much. I, I, I wish I had lived differently, right? The, the heartbreaking stories of, you know, the, the tearjerker, I guess, of, you know, I'll, I'll finally see so-and-so again, a, a wife or a loved one that they haven't seen in 20 or 30 years. And, um, and you'll see some people, man, just kind of just outright express anger and frustration with God. A priest comes into the room and says, don't you dare pray for me. And, and, and in those kind of those last vulnerable moments, kind of who you are gets exposed. And so we have the same thing here for Jesus. And what I believe that this is going to do for us as we launch it this week and kind of for the next four weeks, it's going to give us, I think, a deeper picture of who Jesus is. Because sometimes I think, you know, say, hey, we're Christians, you know, I follow Jesus, I'm a follower of Christ, whatever. I think that when we say that, what we're saying actually is something very small. When in fact saying that I follow and believe in Jesus, that, that is actually, a, that's, a, that's a big statement. And so we, I think, honestly, we need, our Jesus needs to become a, a little bit bigger. We need, a, we need a bigger Jesus. And so we're going to look at a couple of different ones today. And the first one is found in John 19, verses 28 and 29. Again, make sure we're all understand. This is Jesus. He's, he's hanging on the cross. Right? Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. 
of all the things that Jesus says, I think probably that's one of the most normalish ones, maybe. You know, you're just kind of, you've been up there for a few, for a few hours and you're just in a lot of pain. You, there's a lot of physical needs and, and, you just, and you're just thirsty and you just, I'm just, I'm just thirsty. It's not, it's not the kind of thing that you, I, I think a lot of us would kind of put with the kind of thing that Jesus would say. Jesus is, is God and it's kind of this spiritual person and here he is in this moment really just kind of expressing a basic, fundamental, human level need. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. And um, it says here that it says that so that scripture would be fulfilled, which you, you go to Psalm chapter 69. And in Psalm chapter 69, it'll describe this kind of this moment that was going to happen um, when, when the Messiah came. And some people, you know, are, are trying to connect that the reason why Jesus said this was so that scripture could be fulfilled. Well, this thing was said that Jesus would do this, and so Jesus had to do it because he said he would do it. Which, to me, it's like trying to figure... Anyway, it's a little bit like time travel movies, you know? It's like, okay, well, this thing happened. Did it happen because they went back in time or whatever? And it's like, what Jesus did Jesus do it because it was predicted? Or was it predicted because Jesus would do it? I mean, to me, that question, though, is a distraction from what I think the, the most significant part of him saying that is, is just how human it was, how, how regular it was, of kind of Jesus in that moment saying, I'm, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. And we'll, we'll pair that with kind of one other, which I think just kind of real, just kind of, you know, human moments here for him in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling out, he's calling for Elijah. They heard him say that, Eli, which means my God, they're hearing him say Elijah, right? So some of those standing there thought he'd said, he's calling Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge, and he filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. But the rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And so this thing that Jesus says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, I mean, this thing that he says is a direct quote from Psalm chapter 22. And in Psalm chapter 22, we've got David, who's going to become the king, kind of just pouring out his heart in frustration towards God. He's incredibly frustrated with God. He's, you know, he, he's been anointed to be the new king, but the person who is the current king is chasing him all around the country and neighboring countries trying to kill him. So we have David in this moment who feels like he's doing everything right, being exactly who God's called him to, and he's having to hide and run and, and living in caves and having to do all of these awful things just to stay alive. And as any of us would be in a similar situation, and as many of us have been in not similar situations, he gets very frustrated with his, with, with, with his life and puts that on God. God, where'd you go? Where are you? What happened? Why did you leave me? What, what is the deal with you? And Jesus quotes him. He could have expressed this frustration 
or this pain that he feels. He could have expressed it anyway, but instead he identifies directly with this thing in Psalm 22. And basically just kind of, he just pours out that he feels completely and totally abandoned by God. And so you think, well, Jesus, Jesus is God, right? But Jesus as God, yes. But the Father, he, the Father, they, they had this incredibly close relationship. But part of Jesus' death on the cross wasn't just physically dying, but being separated from the Father, just like we're separated from God. We're separated from God. God brings Jesus brings us back together. For the first time in his life, Jesus experiences what it's like to be relationally distant from God the Father. And he's overwhelmed with it. And in a moment of just real authenticity, he just kind of expresses this pain. God, where did you you go? And so we have in two of these kind of seven moments on the cross, we have one where Jesus is expressing this real physical need that he has. I'm thirsty. And then here we see Jesus expressing a real emotional, spiritual need, saying the kind of thing that not only David had said, but the kind of thing that probably many of us have said. And, and, and what we get, we put these two things together, and this is kind of our big picture idea for the day, is that Jesus was authentically human. He was authentically human. He was a person. And sometimes I think what happens is in Christian theology and in kind of day-to-day Christian thinking, we think of Jesus as something completely and totally different than us. Like he, he's something, but he's not, he's not a person like me. He's, he's, he's way out there, right? And, and I think it's important for us to say, wait, wait a second, no, I mean, Jesus, he, he was a man like us. Now, there are obvious some other issues with someone who thinks that Jesus is just a person, just a regular guy. There's obviously way more to Jesus than that. And that's a sermon for a different day. But in today, we're going to think about what, what, why it's really important for us to fully recognize and understand the genuine humanness of Jesus. And this is something that has been kind of wrestled with, actually, since Jesus, you know, since Jesus died. Even in the immediate aftermath of that in the New Testament, a real kind of discussion is like, man, who, who was that? That was, that was special. Who, who really was he? And this, this, this is trying to talk about, was, was, that, was that God in a, looking like a person? Is it a person that was just like the best person? Is he a person and God? And over the course of years, I mean, we're going to have some, we're, part of this, what we're going to be talking about today and over the next few weeks, is going to be deeply theological in nature. And um, so we're going to learn a little bit, but hopefully kind of apply it a little bit too. And um, this idea of trying to figure out who Jesus is and how he can be God and man at the same time, because historically, what the Christian church is, believes, and what we believe, is that Jesus was fully God and fully human at the same time. And that, my friends, for your fancy word of the day, is called the hypostatic union. And you think, what did he just say? I said this. Hypostatic union. Hypostatic union. So you want to write that down. It's a very fancy thing, but it talks about how, how, can, how can these two very distinct things, uh, God and humanity, how can, how can one person fully be both of those things? And it is a deep, overwhelming theological concept. I took a graduate school level um, 
master's degree seminary class on this. It was in a full three-hour class. It was lasted for an entire semester. And the only thing we talked about was this, right? And so in two minutes, I'm going to be able to just kind of knock this out for you, and it's not going to be an issue at all. Oh, no, you're auditing this. You're, this is, you're just auditing. No, no course credit. No course credit here. But let's say this isn't just a theological exercise, putting our mind around this, putting our brain around this. Because the, the, the more we understand this, this is going to deeply affect my view of who Jesus is, obviously, which is going to, in turn, help me understand God in a different way. And ultimately, if I'm thinking about this, it's going gonna, it's gonna to alter the course and the direction of my life. Because again, if we say we believe in Jesus, we follow Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, and Jesus changes, he gets a little deeper, a little more complex, and, and we begin to understand who Jesus actually is, well, now my life as someone who follows him is going to change as well. But I think it, it, it truly does matter. It is important for us to know that even though we, we, can, we, we obviously understand that Jesus is very different than just an ordinary human, we don't want to lose the fact that Jesus was, though, authentically human. And there's a couple of reasons for that. And the first one is this, just put very simply, he understands. He, he understands, which probably will make you want to ask the question, understands what? I right? a very normal question. So it understands what? Whatever. Whatever it is you need him to understand, he already understands. And I'm not talking about that he understands it in the way that a, um, the God who knows everything already knows everything. It is true that God knows everything. But knowing everything, and what I mean here by saying that Jesus understands, is very different. I'm talking about he understands. Whatever your worst moment has been in your life, whatever your darkest hour has been, whatever the the loneliest you have ever felt, the the most abandoned you have ever felt, the saddest you have ever been, the most hopeless you've ever been, he understands. Because he was authentically human, lived an authentically human life, and expressed very normal things when he was experiencing life. When he was thirsty, he was thirsty. And when he was going through a rough patch, it felt to him like God had abandoned him. And in a very genuine, honest way, he pours that out to God the Father. God, where'd you go? He could have expressed that any number of ways. But what he chose to do was to quote word for word something that David had said. A psalm that was incredibly popular, a story that was very well known, a moment in which certainly his contemporary audience, at least those who heard it, not the people who thought he said Elijah, and the people who initially heard that that's what he said, it was an immediate connection for them. That Jesus is identifying with David at this dark moment in his life. This dark moment in his life where I think David gets into this pattern that I think so many of us get in. And by so many, maybe I just mean me. Uh, this moment where I'm doing everything right and, and the things that are supposed to happen aren't happening. You know, I think we have this idea. It's like I, I, I do good, God does good. I do bad, God does bad. And that God interacts with us the way that one interacts with a toddler, right? 
the toddler eats the vegetables, you give the toddler dessert. The toddler throws the vegetables on the wall, he gets a little on the leg, right? Right? And so that makes sense, right? It's like, and, and that's how God does it. I do good, God does good. I do bad, God does bad. And that makes sense. And so now bad is happening. I must have done bad. And David's like, wait, I'm not doing bad. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm eating my vegetables. Where's my dessert? And this is how I feel. And this is how I felt sometimes. I'm like, God, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm eating my vegetables. Where's the dessert? If you're going to keep swatting my leg, I assure you, I don't like vegetables. We're off, We're off topic now. I do wish that he'd made vegetables taste better. Um, And so David is experiencing this. It feels like he's being punished, even though he's doing right. And he pours out that frustration to God. And Jesus connects himself with that. That in this moment where he was doing and being exactly who God the Father wanted him to be, following the plan exactly the way that they agreed that they would, he was doing all of this. But in that moment, even though he knew the moment was coming, he felt so much grief that he just poured it out to him. God, where'd you go? Where did you go? And I think it is important for us to recognize that when we get to these low moments in our life, To do the same thing. To authentically and fully emotionally express what we're feeling to God. Because I know in in, in the moments in my life when I've I've been this way, the, the thing that has mattered most to me, the things that have helped me the most is to be able to sit down with someone who can sit with me and say, yeah, dude, I understand. That that I've I've been through that. I've felt that. This is what God did. This is how I got through it. You're going to get through it too. That's the thing that helped me the most. And what if when we authentically pour out our heart to God, on the other end is Jesus who is saying, I get it. I felt that before. Well, that just matters. That just matters. And here's the thing I encourage you to do. It's kind of like a little two-step process that I go through when I kind of get into one of these little holes. And I think both steps are important. The first one is I kind of get in one of these little holes or it just feels like everything's not going right and everything's kind of pushing against me. And then you start looking to the Bible. Right? I, I want answers from God. And you look and you say, well, Jesus felt that and David felt that. And you start to feel like, okay, well, the first step process is, wait a second. Jesus was dying a horrific death on the cross. And um, uh, David... Uh, was being hunted and was having to live in a cave because the king of Israel and his tens of thousands of soldiers were trying to kill him. That's what, that, that's what they were going through. Dude, you need to dial it back a little bit. <laughs> you, you're upset, right? You're upset, but it ain't that. Just dial it back. But here's the problem is I think in kind of this two-phase process, I think, some of us just kind of stick with that one faith. You think, well, I don't have anything to complain about. There's, there's people suffering all over the world much more than me, and so I, sh- I, shouldn't even, I shouldn't even say anything. I think it's important to put your suffering in perspective. It is important. 
But I believe that it is also important to authentically express what you're feeling towards God. There's way too many examples of it, cover to cover, of people in these moments genuinely pouring out their emotion to God for us to think that we shouldn't. You know, part of the answer might be, and I've had this before, part of the answer might be, dial it back a little bit, drama queen, right? That, that's what I feel like sometimes is said to me. But lots of times what I hear back is like, I get it. I get it. I, I, I know this is hard. Why are you doing it? And sometimes that answer doesn't come. But there's a lot of healing in just telling God what you're going through. And again, it's not, it's not about telling God something that he doesn't already know. It's about a connecting with a God who understands. A God who wants to comfort you. A God who wants to be there for you. And so, in the same way that he is connecting his pain with the pain of David... I believe that Jesus wants to connect with the pain that you have. And so whether this is something you've experienced in the past, something you're experiencing now, or something that inevitably all of us at some point will experience in the future, I encourage you to follow Jesus and express authentically your need and your concern with God and allow a God that understands to hear you. So Jesus was authentically human, and he completely understands. But there's also something else that's very important about Jesus being human. Because this thing that he, this, this person that he is, that he was able to be both God and man together, it makes him the only one that can save. He, he's, he's the only one that can save. And this is a hard thing. And I know that as soon as I say this, and as soon as I quote some of these verses, there is going to be some natural objection that we have to this. Because it sounds harsh, it sounds closed-minded, it, it, it sounds too extreme. But the, the scripture says it, that Jesus is the only name under heaven by which we can be saved. Jesus said it himself. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can find God except through me. And the reason why his humanity and his deity being together is important is because if I'm going to have somebody, and here's the situation we find ourselves in, is that our sin has separated us from God. And there is a penalty that has to be paid. And the only person that can pay that penalty is another person. And so Jesus authentically had to be human to be that substitute for us. I mean, it's going to sound like I'm saying being something silly, but I'm not. It, it, it couldn't, I guess I'll say it in a not silly way. Okay, I thought it was good pop. It couldn't just be the animals from the Old Testament. It couldn't just be a, a, a ram. It couldn't just be a dove. It couldn't just be a bull. It had to be some. It had to be one of us. It had to be one of us that is going to go before God and say, "I will take this. I will take their punishment." And so Jesus doing this way, it was important. It was necessary for Him to be fully human. So he could do this incredible thing for us, which is to die on our behalf. But it's also important, again, we're kind of, this is a very, very important theological idea that we all need to understand. In the same way that it was important that it was human, it is also important that he was fully God. Because, again, there's some people out there, Jehovah's Witnesses being one of them, that will say, yeah, Jesus died on the cross for sins and that's important. But Jesus was just a person. 
Well, that, there's a real theological problem with that that we need to make sure that we understand because it, it, it makes Jesus bigger and it helps us understand the gospel a little bit better. If Jesus was just a person and he lived a sinless life, well, that means that he's not separated from God. My sin separates me from God. He didn't sin, so he's not separated from God. So he gets to, when he dies physically, he gets to go to heaven and be with God. Well, he wants to die for us. Okay, that's a great thing. But he's just one dude. One dude dies for one other dude. Right? I mean, that's, that's all that one person can do. You know, if I want to take the place of somebody who's being punished, like that per- one person needs to go to jail for this crime, send me. I can't take on everybody. If I win a race and I win one medal, I can't give everybody a medal. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to declare you the winner and give you the prize. He's just one person. He's got one prize. But he's not just one person. He's the God of the universe. He is the God of the universe. And so while he is an authentic representation of us, he is a human, and so he can be our advocate. He can be our go-between. He can be our mediator. He can be the one who bridges the gap between us and God. He also is fully God, and so he has the ability and the capacity for his death to count for more than just one death. And so who we have in Jesus is someone incredibly powerful and absolutely unique. Other people claiming to point us towards God are trying to tell us things and we should follow teachings and we should listen to their ideas. But Jesus is the one who both had the plan and the ability to bridge the gap between you and God and your sin problem. That's what Jesus does. And it is important for us to have this bigger picture of Jesus because I need to make sure that I understand in my heart that I'm not just simply following the teachings of somebody who has some good things to say about life. I will say to you, Jesus has some good things to say about life. And if all you chose to do was, I'm going to follow Jesus' teachings about life, you would live an upper echelon life amongst people. He's got some great things to say. I said this randomly to somebody the other day. I said, if, you know, if, if you could prove to me tomorrow that God didn't exist... I would still tithe because it's good for me. It's good for me and what money does for me to give a lot of my money away. It's also good for me to be, I'm still being a small group. I would still connect with other people because it's good for me. If all you ever did was just follow the pattern and the image of what Jesus and the Bible lays out, you'd be doing pretty well. But that's not all that we're doing. We're not following a philosopher and a great religious teacher. We are believing in someone who bridged a gap between us and God because of our sin. And here's the thing that I know. I know that there are some of us here, and we're glad that you're here. You should keep coming forever, right? But there are some of us here who I still think just kind of hover on the outside of what it really means to be a follower of Christ. I'm fond of God. I like what Jesus says. I can see that it helps me. But I've never really fully embraced what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me. I've never really experienced and lived out that forgiveness. And that is the thing that God is wanting to do in your life. He's not wanting simply to kind of give you some helpful tips. 
He's not just trying to draw a crowd of a fan club. He's trying to draw you authentically to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so as you are getting ready for Easter, if that's you, I'm, in, I'm inviting you, begging you, pleading with you to give your life fully to Jesus Christ and allow Him to heal you and forgive you. And if that's you, please let us know. Even if you would say you're still in process, fill out a connection card, just let us know. We'll love to walk through that with you, talk to you about it, and ultimately celebrate with you when you give your life to Jesus. And now for the rest of us, we're three weeks away from Easter. This huge moment where we just celebrate the most amazing thing. Like the bumper said, the best news we've ever heard. He's not, he's not, he's not here. He's not dead. He's alive. We're, we're going to celebrate that. And it's so big that we, we, we make a whole season out of it. But even when it's not Easter season, we still manage to talk about it a lot. It's, it's important and it matters. And honestly, I think we need to get our hearts ready. Because I think what happens to a lot of us is we understand this and now i got to live my life. And we get further and further away from kind of really understanding the awesome power of what Jesus Christ did for me. And I need to live a life as a follower of Jesus where that really is at the center of my life. What is at the center of my life is this overwhelmingly awesome, amazing thing that Jesus Christ did for me. So my prayer is that starting today that this will be a time of spiritual renewal for all of us. For some of us, it's going to be for the very first time but hopefully for all of us, it'll be a renewed time. So we've got an awesome opportunity to worship. We've got an awesome opportunity to give. Um, the prayer team, if you come here, maybe you're in one of those dark places and you need a little bit of help. The prayer team would love to be praying for you. You can just let them know. They can pray with you right then or, or they can just ha- have your information and pray for you um, throughout the week. Is communion available, um, prayer candles, praying at the cross, lots of different ways. But let's just make a commitment individually and collectively as a church that we're going to let this be a renewed spiritual time to focus on Jesus and the incredible person that He is and the wonderful thing that He's done for us. Let's pray. God, I thank you, and I am just, it is a privilege for me, and I really think for all of us, that every Sunday we get, to get, we get to be together with such a broad group of people. God, people who are on the outside, who know that they don't follow Jesus, but are interested enough to listen. And God, I pray that you would be drawing their hearts today. And God, there's some of us that are just still hovering on the outside. God, I pray that you would draw us as well. And God, there are those of us who are with you. Oh God, we just get distracted. And so God, I pray that you would renew us, recenter us, refocus us on the awesome work that you did for us through your son Jesus Christ on the cross and the life that we have. 
And God, I pray whether it's for the first time or the next time that you would fully have our lives through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.